Hey, uh, grab your Bibles if you have them, uh, James 5. We have two more weeks now, this week and next week in the book of James. We'll be wrapping it up. James 5, 16 through 18. Man, I wrote, uh, I, I, I wrote Nick Nye lot yesterday and I said, oh man, I go, the sermon was, was so great. If you guys were here last week, you heard him preach as well as Scott the week before. And uh, I said, man, the sermon, the sermon was so great. And uh, he was like, oh, thanks. He goes, sorry, I created, you know, more work for you guys. I kept telling everybody to get a hold of you guys and ask for prayer, all the elders. And I said, you know, that's okay, man. I'm just going to give him your email uh, when I stand up there this morning. So nicknye at gmail.com, that's who you want to go to. But um, I'm kidding. I don't even know if that's his email. I shouldn't have even said that. But, um, but what Nick did uh, last week was he unpacked what it means to be a person who offers prayer, prayers and praises of faith to the Lord uh, during times of suffering and sickness and rejoicing. And let me say, uh, all joking aside, that what Nick said is actually true. Um, it is our job as elders to pray for you. So it's also a time um, as a church entering its eighth year to stop what Nick also pointed out, which was all of this Midwestern politeness right? Man, we, we don't like showing our vulnerability. We don't like showing our weakness and our fragility. We don't like our sins uh, being exposed to one another. And that's understandable. Those are hard spaces and places for us to be in, but they need to be spaces that we are actually growing into. So his, his uh, encouragement last week was good and it really ties in uh, to this week. And I, I like some of what he said about uh, our prayers and the words of our prayers, that they're not like magic mantras. They're not power of positive thinking in that all we have to do is chant the right words or think the right happy thoughts and our demands will automatically be met by God. Um, and that wouldn't be effective prayer. And that's what we're gonna be talking about this morning is effective prayer. But that wouldn't be what we would consider to be effective prayer because it would be praying with our desires at the center, right? It would be praying with the assumption that we always know what we best need in our life rather than praying like Jesus told us, which is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what we naturally fall back to in terms of how we view prayer and how we see prayer and how it prevents us from being prayers is altogether different than what the Bible lays out for us in terms of what prayer is and how it is supposed to be a part of our life and actually be a change agent in our life. And so this morning we're gonna see that prayer is effective not because it always provides us what we ask for, but because it provides us with a heart that is more like Christ's, a more trusting heart, a heart that is expectant for the purposes and the promises of God. And man, praying is so hard. Can we just acknowledge that on the front end of this thing? Praying is such a hard discipline because it's an act of faith. That's why it's so hard for us. But again, Nick said it so well when he encouraged us to see God like a loving and compassionate father who invites us to come in. So right now, even as we're just beginning um, this 90-minute sermon, <laughs> is to think of God just waking you up you listening? To think of God as being this compassionate and gracious father who is saying, come to me. 
All ye who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. I have a yoke, but it's, it's light. It's easy. And so we want to we not think wrongly of God when we think about what prayer is and what the purpose of it is. A lot of times I think we can approach prayer like consumers. Do you know what I mean when I say that? It's like when you buy a product, uh, the expectation is that it's going to work. Right? Nobody buys something just thinking, yeah, I'm buying this thing because it's defective. We, we buy a product because we think it's going to work. And if it doesn't work, we want our money back. Or we just want a new product that's going to work. And I wonder if we don't just kind of treat God like that. In other words, you might say, well, I've prayed before, but I didn't get what I wanted. So I kind of want my money back on that. Prayer can feel like a, a, a faulty product, so I'm going to try something else that feels more effective. But James has been urging us to pray all through uh, this book. You look, at a, you look at chapter 1, verse 5, and James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without approach, and it will be given uh, to him. And then in, ver- in chapter 4, verse 2, he says, you desire and do not have, so you Murder, you covet cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And then he says this, he says, you do not have, why? Because you do not ask. You know, it's hard to find a praying person who is also simultaneously spiritually bankrupt. The two things don't really add up. Somebody who devotes themselves to this, this act of communion with God that was given to us specifically by God as a way to be conformed to his will. Somebody who devotes themselves to that practice is going to be someone who finds that they become more spiritually mature. They become more connected to Jesus. They become more aware of their own sin and their own faults, but not as a way that just continually defeats them, but as a way that continually drives them back to Jesus in prayer, it also, we also find that people who pray are more connected with the people around them because they're aware. They're, they're, they're more self-forgetful in the sense that they're not just thinking about their own troubles and their own trials, but they're also looking around going, hey, if I'm experiencing this, then somebody else probably is too. So prayer has all these, like, just these multifold implications for us. And once again, James is calling his readers, what he's doing, like he's been doing all the way through this book, is he's calling us out of spiritual drifting. He's calling us out of double-mindedness, and he turns to the effectiveness of prayer as the means to do that. Look at what he uh, tells us today as we pick up in verse 16, chapter 5. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. That's the word of the Lord for us today. Let me, I'm going to read this in a different translation because I liked the way it was said in this other translation. The first part of it says says it like this. Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. The prayer of a person living right with God is something 
powerful to be reckoned with. So the first thing I want to look at is when we talk about effective prayer, a prayer that is doing something the way in which God intended it to do, which is to reshape and reform our heart and to draw us deeper to Jesus. The first thing we see about effective prayer that James lays out is that it's relational. It's relational. There's this relational component to him. He, he gives the church a pattern to operate out of. So instead of concealing our sin, instead of trying to create false identities, which we just have the tendency to do, James says this, he says, confess your sins to one another. How horrible is that? What a horribly uncomfortable thing for James to ask of us. Come on, man. James says, confess your sins to one another. Why does he connect confession so deeply to prayer? And not just confession, because I think we know we're supposed to confess our sins to Jesus, but he says, actually, I want you to confess your sins to one another. Why, Why does he connect it so deeply to, to prayer? Well, remember what Paul said in Galatians 6.2, he said, hey, look, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So what James is doing here is he's reminding us that the church is a community of saints who are sinners but that also need each other's prayers in order to receive spiritual healing and wholeness. In other words, the sanctification of church members, man, that is a community project. Isn't that interesting to think of it like that? Um, some, of our, some of our women on, I think it was Thursday, um, they got to lay out uh, you know, a bunch of new flowers and all the planters kind of going up Main Street and South Street, it, it, was a, it was a community project to kind of beautify, help beautify the downtown. It would have been unthinkable if they just would have called Melissa and said, hey, we only got like 20 of these things, but we want you to be the one to do this. Nobody else. Oh, and by the way, if you even ask somebody else to do it, you're fired, right? I mean, it would have been unthinkable if they gathered together a crew who helped together to plant these new flowers for the beautification of downtown. So we confess our sins to others so that they understand how they can pray appropriately for us. It's a way of getting everybody into our business so that we can be further sanctified in Jesus. This is how prayer forms a path for us. This separate forms a path to forgiveness and healing and wholeness. Because one thing that wisdom reminds us of is that we have the tendency to isolate. Sin has the tendency to isolate us. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10 tells us two are better than one for if either falls, his companion can lift him up. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, this amazing book, if you haven't read it, you should read it. Uh, it's called Life Together. We get a lot of our community group stuff from Life Together. But this is what he said. He said, sin demands to have a man by himself. He said, it withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. Isn't that interesting? So by confessing our sins to one another, we are in effect killing autonomy and we are preventing 
hypocrisy. We're also allowing our hearts to grow in vulnerability and in humility and in love and grace and encouragement and strength and endurance. So what happens is that when I confess my sin to you, I'm opening myself up to the power of Jesus working through the prayers of another righteous brother or sister who has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's how all this is meant to work. That's where James is leading us. Imagine if you came to me and said, Ronnie, I, I struggle with greed. Let's just use that for an example. It really has a grip on me. Will you pray that God delivers me from its hold? I mean, just imagine what that does to our relationship. Think about what that would do to our relationship. I now go before the Lord. I pray for you because I know what's going on in your life. Man, I'm not coming down in judgment on you. Man, I have the privilege of knowing what goes on in the deep caverns of your heart because I probably struggle with greed too. But now I get to go before the Lord and pray for you. I get to bear this burden with you. I get to connect with you on a deeper relational level. I get to ask how the Lord is working to deliver you from this sin. Isn't that amazing the way that is intended to work? The way that God has put the body of Christ together in this particular place for it to function in this way? Our relationship by doing that would not only reach new depths, but we've also availed ourselves to the power of God to heal. Why? Well, because he hears the prayers of the righteous. He hears the prayers of those who have been covered by the blood of Jesus. Maybe some of you remain stuck in some of these besetting sins because you've kept it from being prayed for by a trusted brother or sister. I, I don't know. But effective prayer is relational in nature. James says, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. And then he goes on to say, not only is prayer relational, but prayer is powerful. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Prayer is so powerful that it can even change the weather. And that's the example, really, he gives us right here with Elijah. It can change the weather. And if we get deeper into Elijah, we can see that it also has the power to raise the dead. It can bring fire down from heaven in judgment. That's why James mentions this Old Testament prophet Elijah, because God answered his prayers in all of these dramatic ways. When you go to 1 Kings, the book of 1 Kings 17 and 18, you read about these miraculous things that happened because Elijah was a praying man. This is what James points out in verse 17. He said, he was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then when he prayed again, heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. You can read all about these crazy things that happened to Elijah. This one time where he was, uh, he was friends with this widow who had a son who died. Elijah prayed and this son was raised 
back to life from the dead. The most famous Elijah one of all time was his battle with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Remember that? Oh man. So Elijah sets up this contest with all these prophets of Baal to show who the real and living God was. And when it comes time for Elijah to do his thing, he builds an altar, he pours it, drenches it with water, and he prays before the Lord. He puts his head down and he prays before the Lord that the Lord would light the altar with fire. Fire comes down from heaven, consumes the entire altar. Elijah was a praying man. He was a man who prayed with an expectancy that God was going to move and God moved when he prayed. God answered the prayers of Elijah. And granted, these were miraculous uh, in nature, right? These are not like the normal kinds of prayers that when you pray are going to be answered. It doesn't mean that they wouldn't. It just means that they're not normative. It just means that God doesn't typically respond in these kinds of dramatic ways, just to be clear. Elijah was set apart as God's prophet and God worked through him in some miraculous ways. But what's interesting here is that James doesn't really focus uh, on the, the miracles as much as he focuses on the fact that Elijah just was a prayer. And not only that, but that he was just somebody that, who had a nature just like us. So it's not really about the nature of the miracles here, James's point. It's about the nature of Elijah, who was somebody who battled and struggled with the things that we did, and yet God still answered his prayers. And if you read the story of Elijah in 1 Kings, it's amazing because this is a, this is a dude that just struggled with anger, definitely had anger issues, massive depression issues, which shows us that God works through people. It shows us that it's not our human natures that keep God from hearing our prayers, but it's our lack of humble natures that keeps God from answering our prayers. You know, I don't know if you guys have been watching this, uh, this show called The Chosen. Has anybody, anybody been watching that? One, one, one person? Okay. Some of you guys are so afraid to raise your hands. It's okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to commit the show to you. If you haven't watched The Chosen, find it on one of your streaming channels and watch it. It's a, it's a story about the life of Jesus, except it's actually done well, you know, which is a change for us, you know, throughout all of these years. And, but what it really shows, and they take some liberties, right? Um, but what it really shows is the, is the humanity of, of mainly the disciples and then of of Jesus. It shows just their human side because I think what happens is when we read the story of the gospels or when we read about people like Elijah, we just, we put them on this pedestal. We dehumanize them in a way and we need to rehumanize these people. One of the great things about the chosen is that you just see the disciples and Jesus operating in all of the ways that Jesus and the disciples would have operated. I remember there, there's this scene and there's this scene where Jesus gets off to a desolate place and he's camping. And I remember Melissa goes, it's just, I can't deal with Jesus camping. Why, why do they have him camping? And I was like, well, he had to sleep and eat while he was in that desolate place when he wasn't fasting. So naturally, he's going to have a tent and a campfire and a Coleman stove. You know, I mean, those are, that's how he's going to operate and roll through these things. 
But it was just, it was such a great example though of like, hold on, I don't like to think of Jesus like that. I like to think of him like on top of this mountain, like levitating with like angels, you know, just kind of like, you know, you know, showing their light over him. It's like, but that's not what happened. When we think about Elijah, what James is trying to say is, man, he was a dude just like you. He was a dude just like me. It wasn't his human nature that kept God from hearing his prayers. You know, reflect for a minute, if you would, on the prayers Jesus has answered in your life, if you can. Maybe you can't. It'd be a good exercise to begin if you've never done that. But think about the prayers that he has answered in your life. Think about some of the prayers that he hasn't answered. Because both your answered and your what we would call unanswered prayers are displays of his miraculous power as it is working in your life, the way James points out to us. Listen, think of it this way. To think that the creator and ruler of the universe would have a reason in his infinite wisdom, in his all-knowing mind for not answering your prayer is mind-boggling. This not only illuminates the power of his wisdom at work in you, but it also humbles you to think of his fatherly care for you. Because I think we struggle with what we call unanswered prayer, but in reality, it's that God is not answering our prayers with the answer that we want, right? Our parents didn't always give us what we wanted, unless you were one of those kids that I didn't like who got everything that they wanted. And you know what? We can make light of this, but sometimes our parents were wrong. Um, Sometimes our parents may have been neglectful. But sometimes when they withheld our requests, it was because they were giving us something far better than we couldn't see or couldn't understand. Where do we see this most clearly? None more clearly than Jesus himself when he prayed to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Lord, will you remove this cup from me? You know what it is that I'm about to do. And it is just taking my breath away, the anxiety and the stress that I'm feeling. And the Father answered his prayer by not granting his request. Was that an act of care from the Father? It was, because now we enjoy the fruits of the cross and the resurrection. Could we have seen it then? No. The disciples didn't see it. They were clueless about that. So God sometimes answers our prayers by not answering our prayers. But God also answers our prayers when we pray in faith and with expectancy. This is why we're told by Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5 to pray without ceasing. To pray without ceasing. In other words, you need to see every moment in your life as a communal meeting between you and God. An opportunity at any minute of any day to rejoice, to be thankful to plead with him, to complain to him, to admit your fears, to release your anger, to offer your praise, to confess your sins, to make your requests known to him. 
but we discount the power of everyday prayers that we make as normal, sinful, struggling, everyday people, don't we? And because of that, we see our prayers as less supernatural than they actually are. So every time I fly, every time I get on a plane, I pray that God would grant my request for a safe takeoff and a safe landing. I'm I'm standing here. So far, God has answered every one of my prayers. Now, that's kind of eye-rolly for some of you, isn't it? But why? Why is that eye-rolly? I'm almost kind of eye-rolly about it, even though I pray it every time. It shouldn't be insignificant because I'm getting on this vessel of death that I have no power or control over every time I get in the air. So why isn't it a significant prayer that every time for as long as I can remember, I've said, Lord, would you give me a safe takeoff in a safe landing, not just for me, but for everybody that's surrounding me, because there's a lot of life and families and people made in your image represented here. And up to this moment in my life, he has answered every single one of those prayers. And yet, I don't get off that plane just totally, just jumping up and down and rejoicing and just out of my mind with happiness because I live to see another day after getting off of the box of death. You know? But that's a real prayer that is answered every single time. Listen, when we confess our sins to one another and open up our lives to whatever it is, those physical ailments or those spiritual sins that need healing, what we're doing in those moments is we're we're modeling our relationship with Jesus because Jesus prays for us. And shouldn't we be doing this thing for each other that we read from Scripture he does for us? He says it right here in Luke 22, 32, but I've prayed, he's talking to Peter. Remember when he said, Satan wants to sift you like wheat? And he says, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. When you've come back from this, Peter, do what I've done to you. Pray for your brothers and your sisters. Hebrews 5 verse 7 says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his reverence. Imagine Jesus praying for you with that level of passion because of his love for you, making intercession for you, which says here in Hebrews 7.25, consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always, what? Lives to make intercession for them. Jesus lives to take your prayers before the Father so that they're heard. It's a mind-boggling thing for us when we consider prayer and what James is calling us to and how it's not just meant to be sort of this quasi-Christmas list that we roll out every morning. That can be part of it because we want to make our requests known to the Lord. 
but how it's supposed to work and function for one another. So to confess and pray is to practice wisdom. Prayer is acknowledging that God is powerful, isn't it? And believing that prayer is how God works. And praying because Jesus told us to pray and how to pray. There's that moment in the Gospels when the disciples come to him and just go, and they, they, they've been watching Jesus. And they've been seeing his prayer life. And they say, will you teach us how to pray? It finally dawned on them that Jesus was doing something that they needed to learn and be taught. Sometimes we don't know what to pray, but it's prayer in and of itself that helps shape our hearts to pray for what we actually need. And we learn how to do that. That's why prayer is a practice and it's a practice of wisdom. Sam Albury says this, our prayers are powerful when they are prayed in line with God's purposes and promises. To pray is also to practice humility. So on one hand, it's to practice wisdom. On another hand, it's to practice humility. Every time you and I pray, we are in effect saying, I'm not all that. That's the nature of prayer. You're saying, I don't have what it takes. You're saying, I don't have what it takes to heal myself. I don't have my life all figured out. When you go before the Lord in prayer, when you confess your sins to a brother or sister, you're saying, I have limitations. You're saying, I don't even know what I need. But I know that I need you to pray for me so that God would supply my needs, the needs that I don't even know what are. You're saying, I'm not meant to make everything happen. So to confess your sins, to ask for prayer, to be reminded that your nature is just like this ridiculous Old Testament prophet of whom God did all these miraculous things through because he prayed. It's an act of humility that changes you over and over again as you practice. You need others to know you the way Jesus knows you. That's what we need. Finally, to praise, to practice Christ-likeness. Is it phenomenal to you that Jesus prayed? Have you ever thought about that? Jesus prayed. He regularly went to desolate places and prayed. Why would Jesus? Why did Jesus need to pray? He had no sin to confess. Jesus prayed because it connected him to the heart of of his father. This is the power of prayer as it is working. Do you guys understand that? For us to be connected more deeply to the heart of Jesus. For us to experience physical, sometimes he grants that, and spiritual healing for our bodies and souls as we await the day when he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Prayer and confessing our sins to another to receive prayer so that we can gain healing and wholeness, it gives us a foretaste of the age to come. 
which by the way, Jesus already began when he died and he rose again. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Everything in scripture points to God making all things new through the sending of Jesus so that our sin would not have the last word. And what prayer does is it grounds our relationship to God and the people God has placed in our lives by them knowing something about our weaknesses. Because there's nothing unique about any of your all's weaknesses, right? You're gonna come to me and you're gonna say, I'm struggling with this. And I'm gonna say, you know, that hasn't been as big of a struggle, but check this out. Here's my struggle. And in that moment, we are going to have our hearts knit together in a unique way. Because now I know that the power of God, the healing power of resurrection now is going to be coming my way because I am assured that you are going before the Lord on behalf of my sin. Why would we not avail ourselves to that? And again, this doesn't, let's just clear the air a little bit. Not, you can't go to everybody in this room, right? There's trusted people that you have built relationships with or that you should be building and cultivating relationships for this particular purpose. Why? Because there is power in that prayer toward your healing, whatever it is, physical, whatever it is, spiritual. And because you have a nature just like Elijah and because you've been washed clean by the blood of Christ and declared righteous, he always hears those prayers. It's so encouraging. 2 Peter 1, 3, and then we'll close. That's what Peter says. He says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So that... Through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. I need you, you need him, you need her to pray for you so that we can continue to escape the corruption of sinful desires that threaten us to keep us from the joy and the life and the love that is in Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's do that. Let's be that church. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you that you've given us a way to come before you with rawness and with honesty. And you've gathered people around us to be a part of that process, Lord. Not to humiliate us, not to shame us, but to remove our shame and humiliation so that we can find wholeness and healing. Lord, we acknowledge that we think too lightly of prayer. We, we don't believe in prayer. A lot of times, like Nick told us last week, we just believe, what's the point? You're going to do what you want. Now, that says something about your sovereignty over our lives, but it says nothing to the fact that you have called us to pray and that the way that you move in this world and through our lives is through prayer. 
And so God, I pray that you would reinforce that in us, Lord, that we would find a person in this congregation that we can be vulnerable with, that we can confess our sins to. And Lord, that we can have a partner in prayer Lord, that will remind us of your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness because we were never meant to do this alone. So God, would you draw us in humility and vulnerability to those that we can have that relationship with so that we can be a a church that is growing in the power of the Holy Spirit and the confidence that we have of knowing that because of Christ, we've been forgiven. And we now have this divine nature. It's been granted to us. And we have these precious and very great promises that we become connected to and that we believe more fully through the power of prayer. So Lord, change us as we go out today remembering these good and gracious words we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.